welcome to season three of Sundays with Wendy. This season, we take you back to the beginning, sharing the inspiring story of Benjamin Goldberg. Follow along through our mother's lens, the journey that presented an intriguing perspective on life and death. The story is also the heart of our work at the Benjamin Goldberg Foundation. Thank you for listening. To learn more, visit BenjaminGoldbergFoundation.org. Episode six. So I asked him, we left off with Wendy and Ben exploring integrative medicine during immunotherapy treatments. I was under a hard deadline and laid my head on the table. There was a tapping on the floor. When I peered through the wood slats, Ben was moving in a painstaking effort not to be seen. I kept still with my throat pinched as he soundlessly laid his Snoopy stuffed animal at my feet and slithered away into the living room. His give was always more than his take. I closed my computer and crawled beside him on the couch. In the middle of his bath that night, he asked, hey, mom, how did the meeting at school go? Which grade do you want to be in? Which one is quieter, he asked. All the testiness about which grade he should be in, having not been able to attend kindergarten, the fact that he was going back was enough. I pulled out of the carpool line on the first day, not worried for him physically, but emotionally would it be too hard. I heard he had asked to sit and read a book at recess, knowing how to pace himself. I don't know why I worried, because on the second day, he shouted from the hall, Mom, the hair looks good. The outfit looks good. The makeup looks good. Let's go. I can't be late. At the parent-teacher conference, the first thing the teacher wanted to share with us was Ben is selfless. They described the last day he returned, the excitement, the kids welcoming him back. We prayed for you while you were gone. His nimble response, no, don't pray for me. The kids in New York need it more. The school nurtured more than his education. It was in his growth. Whether the foundation of the Hebrew language, the Judaic studies, or the love he was surrounded by, and it was woven into our daily lives. One day at the hospital, Ben said, hey, I didn't know you had Hebrew art here. On the wall, there was a scuff that looked strikingly like the Hebrew letter Bet, an upside down letter L with a line across the bottom and a dot. The letter is a symbol for house, or was it a flirt with a foreseeable end, us going home? I got accustomed to the iffy projections, but I had to stay focused on what was concrete. With my practice, having a niche in the nonprofit sector, startups, organizational structure, financials, and fundraising, I knew well. But it was now what I caught sight of, the other side. We were invited to our home health company's annual holiday party, a gracious organization that aided children and families, making things easier at home. The countless phone and house calls strengthened me through the dressing changes and shot administrations with the support I needed to choreograph it all. Now I stood alongside the other families, watching Ben unfaze, playing games with the other kids. The family was due over for our holiday gathering. Setting the table, I heard a boom from the backyard. Then the force field was gone, that subtle relief that arrives when the electricity goes out. There would be a few more hours of light, and we opened our gifts well into the evening by candlelight. I looked over at my grandmother. She sat, not taking her eyes off the candles, deathly afraid we might start a fire. My nephew ran with wrapping paper airborne, mixing joy of the season into the room. I resounded with, are the holidays over yet? We were going back to New York, and I asked him a question while getting ready for bed one night. Hey, Ben, is the cancer gone? There wasn't a millisecond when he responded. No, there were 30 more cells pointing to the right side of his hip. It was an onslaught of the chills. Was I supposed to say anything or keep this one a secret? 
In the meeting with the doctor, he let us know the scans looked good. It was involuntary. I told him what Ben said. His confused response, you asked him that? It's his body he would know, I said. It was a metaphysical approach to a scan done by the patient. Our mind and body are connected. Could we learn how to tap into that information? The months passed. Things were more subtle, spending more time at home. We had another round of scans that spring, and I was waiting for the results. At the school book fair, I was negotiating a purchase with Ben when the call came in. I answered, but I could not hear, and I walked into the hallway. The area code was from New York. The voice said, the doctor would like to speak to you. He was soon on the line. I hated to make this call. There are spots on his right hip that appeared on the last scans. I could not breathe. We left with the books. In the dialogue on the way to the hospital from the apartment, Ben, really, no headphones on the street. Pay attention, I said. He sighed and walked forward in a slink way as they collapsed at the nape of his neck. We took the elevator up. Mom, let's get to the ninth floor, he said. The floor was designated for pediatrics. The other floors were for adults in the research hospital. It was melancholy, the faces of eight staring down. Ben slid the headphones on while his eyes were fixed on the steel walls. With a smirk, he said, how about some elevator music? And popped the song Human Nature by Michael Jackson. Everyone smiled and the tension dissolved. I did evaluate our time in elevators, spending a fair amount in them. And if I were in one, there were niceties, but the vibration was different when Ben was with me. We were called back. The doctor, whose voice was intensely passionate, was now slow and sullen. He described the area on the scan and how nuclear medicine picked up the spots the size of a pinhead on his hip. I understood, but the understated look in his eyes made me believe the conversation was only beginning. The door swung open and Ben was standing there. He must have talked his way back. He curled in my lap. I soon asked him to be taken back to the playroom needing to regain my composure. I only wanted the cards to be laid on the table. Now that they were, it was instant phobia to see the hand. With snot oozing down my face, the nurse came running to my side. She stared at me dead in the eye. We are searching for a cure. No one discussed relapse in terms of statistics, but I became numb from what I knew. Later, it dawned on me what Ben had said. He pointed to the exact location when I asked him if the cancer was gone back in January. He knew his body. I owed him the same honesty sitting on our leather couch. I want to talk to you. He looked at me with big eyes. After the last scans, they found a spot and want to treat it. There was pain in his face. Oh no, chemo. It's only one round of high dose, I added. I don't want to go to school with no hair. He fumbled for his Daft Punk figurines. Can I take these with me to the hospital? The morning of admission, his bag lay outside the room. He threw the figurines down and they missed the zippered opening. What's wrong, buddy? You're not the one that has to do this, he said. His words left me helpless. We canceled the birthday party planned with the kids from school due to the effects of chemo on his immune system. To make it up to him, we went to his favorite place for dinner. It was the natural way he ordered, as if he had done it a hundred times, eating on white linen tablecloth at a high-end steakhouse for his seventh birthday. His monologue thanked all those who inspired him, Michael Jackson, Daft Punk, and the Beatles, before blowing out the candle. His hair never came out evenly or all at once. It was in clumps that spanned over a week. One afternoon, it was sticking like glue to his face and clothes. He asked my dad, granddad, take me to the barber and let's get this over with. I got lofty for a minute, proud of him, but he was growing up in a tragedy. 
Sitting at the dining room table, Ben said out of nowhere, mom, I need to tell you something. I snapped my head around. You know, when I came in, right? September 13th, 2007. I reached for my phone, desperately wanting to find the date on my calendar. I made a note of all the pregnancy tries, scrolling back, back, back to 2007. And damn, if it wasn't that day, a Thursday to be exact. Later that night, while getting him tucked into bed, I could not stop thinking about our conversation. Ben, did you pick me to be your parent? I asked. A distant trance swept his face as if we were traveling to another place, talking in another time. God decided people were having babies and you were available, but you were the special one. He touched my face with his hands and it all begins with you, he spoke. That moment, he was aligned with God in the truth. If I had not fully subscribed to reincarnation before, I was now. Had we bent time in this experience, but not of it, able to see the bigger picture? Staring down at my flare pants, it was possible I was an indigo child that gave birth to another. It was a child that possessed a clear sense of purpose. As trippy as it was, I had to get back to life on this physical plane. We were moving. The movers arrived and Ben was taking a video with his iPad of the action that day. My phone rang. I answered the call from the health insurance company. We had been assigned a case manager when Ben was first diagnosed. At this level, a specialized nurse checks on the progress of care. I always made time. No one had called since we had been off treatment for a while. We must be back on the roll. She was nice enough in her introduction. I need to ask you a series of questions. At first, it was harmless and I attended. Are you familiar with your son's care? I walked outside, making a hard turn of the stone pavers toward the backyard. Do you want near-death planning materials? She asked. Excuse me, but this is not where we are. I can mail you some information. I begged her, please do not. She went on to the next question. I interrupted. I'm sorry, can we back up? Why did you ask me that? It is on my list. She may have read her notes, but she missed reading me. Over the past few years, the house had become a waiting station and the visual cobwebs had started to grow. I found a place that would make it easier. Over the threshold of the mahogany door, if you search the definition of light in the dictionary, there would be a small box with a picture of this view. A condo high on the 22nd floor was our new home. When our friends and family visited, they all agreed, this is so you guys, a gourmet kitchen that we would rarely use and floor to ceiling glass overlooking the city. It was a safe place where I could be still, yet part of the world, letting my soul travel out the windows. Days from leaving New York again, there were two birthday parties back to back. I sat like an alien watching the kids play on the bounce house. The other parents were in conversation about their vacations and efforts to get their kids into the best camps for the summer. He was going to camp that summer. It was called clinic camp. Anything outside of his survival became noise. There was no mistaking it was trash day in the city. The sounds of the cars passing were drowned out that morning by the scent of bags lining the streets. My brown leather backpack was slung over my shoulder with a white t-shirt and black jeans that trailed the ground as I walked. The day started out like any other, but it was after treatment I noticed his skin appeared blue. When I turned to read the monitor, his blood pressure had dropped. I yelled for the nurse. Wind swept, she passed, stopping at the bed. She held his hand, testing the reflex and calling his name. Soon his skin became flush. What happened? The next day I was hypervigilant, but it was a replay of the day before. Damn, his pressure dropped and his lips were tight and dry. 
The nurse was like a sleuth looking for clues. His eyes opened. You get out of my face. You get out of this building. I stared at him, grabbing his face. I know you don't feel good, but you're going to be respectful to these kind and smart people who are taking care of you. What did I do? I tipped back in the chair, regretful. No one could blame him for anything he said after what his body was going through. He had every right to be angry. I released the fear, hearing he would be admitted for observation. But there was a frown on his face. I could not spin this into anything better, and I did not try. The next treatment loomed. I was wary as they set up. If my expression was not enough, my forceful words followed. Nothing is going to happen until I talk to someone on the team. When the doctor arrived, she sat in a chair with her legs crossed. Are you comfortable doing the treatment given the episodes of Monday and Wednesday? Are you, I asked. There was talk about the possibility of a port infection, but it lacked the typical signs. They would perform the treatment through a vein in his arm. Everyone in the room was on guard. Unsettled, I crawled into bed with him and held my breath as the drug began to drip. The treatment was ending and they tested the port. Watching the fluids go in, I could feel it happening. On the monitor, I saw the pressure plummet. I instinctively grabbed him, putting his back firmly against my chest. With my arms wrapped around him, I looked at his blue body, bloating, screaming, someone please do something. I began patting his back in desperation. The nurse said with confidence, Wendy, we are going to figure this out. There was a swarm of doctors in the room, like bees in a hive, but it did not extinguish the voice outside the door. It was the surgeon. One of two things is going to happen. Take the port out, he shouted. No one said it, referring to the episode as a crash, but those few seconds plagued me. We were able to go home, and he was back in school. Thank God there was some normalcy, and the one time he got in trouble. I asked, tell me what happened. What followed was a long explanation about a boy in school. He had been warned if he were rude again, he would be on restriction with no electronics for three days. No TV, iPad, iBox, or anything that plugs in for that matter. His eyes started to well up. There was no stronger truism. It did hurt me more than it would hurt him. My mom called in, oh, Wendy, you messed yourself up. What are you going to do now? The funny thing was I cherished that time we spent together. Getting ready for bed on the third night, he asked, mom, mom, when will the restriction be over? Well, it's tonight at midnight. I woke up at one in the morning to the whole place blaring. It was a volley of sound, every electronic vice to its optimal decibel. Standing in the doorway, what else could I say but have at it? I picked Ben up from swim lessons one afternoon. He ran the length of the pool, cheering on a friend. When it was his turn, he jumped in from a safe spot, one he could finish. It was without fear he understood his limitations. No one, not the coach, the other teammates dared say a word. I started sorting out my feelings, but I had to tell Ben. There was no reason to evade. Death is a natural part of life. My grandmother's name was Ruby, a precious red stone cut fiery and hard. She was timeless, true only to herself. And she did it all as bold as her stature. No matter her physical age, she appeared 20 years younger, a vain woman refusing to use a walker, claiming that's for old people. We sat in his room. He put his hand on his heart and his eyes cast toward the sky, looking for her. I held him close, saying, she is in your heart. And if you ever need her, call on her. She will be right there. Not by sight, the way we typically saw her, but we can still have a relationship with her and an even better one. Now that she is free to be with us all the time. On the day of the funeral, I pulled the bone color shawl she had given me out of the closet. 
As we were leaving, Ben reached over, rubbing the mink. That feels so good and soft. Ruby is in there. I had heard once that souls on the other side could come in through precious longings left behind. She was the matriarch of our family and now a pillar of strength guiding us. I read a poem standing before everyone who loved her. Death is nothing at all. I have only slipped away into the next room. I am I and you are you. Whatever we were to each other, that we still are. Call me by my old familiar name. Speak to me in the easy way, which we always used. Put no difference in your tone. Wear no forced air of sorrow. Laugh as we always laughed at the little jokes we enjoyed together. Play, smile, think of me. Pray for me. Let my name be ever the household word that it always was. Let it be spoken without effect, without a trace of shadow in it. Life means all that it ever meant. It is the same that it ever was. There is absolute unspoken continuity. Why should I be out of mind because I am out of sight? I am but waiting for you for an interval somewhere very near, just around the corner. All is well. Stay tuned for episode seven. Call me Bobby, he said. It was beyond dispute, but was the name changed something more?